On this week's Dose, we have Jan Ryan, serial entrepreneur and advocate for women in entrepreneurship. Yeah, Jan is truly a local legend. It was such an honor to host her on this week's Dose. We've actually been meaning to do this for a couple months now. Yeah, so long time coming. In our conversation, we first dive into her early career, which included involvement in what she called a lot of firsts, namely the personal computer, email, and of course, the World Wide Web. You'll also hear her talk about her days starting, leading, and scaling several businesses of her own, and what it was like as a woman in the industry. Yep, from there, she talks about some of the challenges she faced and gives us a glimpse into the acquisition process as well, which she went through several times. Right. We then shift gears to what she's been working on more recently, which is supporting the next generation of female entrepreneurs through several initiatives, including the Kendra Scott Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership Institute and the Austin Women Entrepreneurs Task Force, just to name a couple. Yeah, and what Jan is doing is truly inspiring. Uh, We're just proud to be playing just a small part in telling her story and empowering more women to get into the world of venture. Yeah, well said, and without further ado, here's our conversation with Jan. You see here, kid? You gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. You just gotta bend your knees, take a deep breath, and jump. This is Venture Pill, your weekly dose of startups and venture capital. We break down recent startups in the news and interview founders and investors to help you stay informed in the evolving world of venture. We welcome on to Venture Pill, Jan Ryan, serial entrepreneur, proponent for women in the entrepreneurship scene, especially here in Austin, and an advisor for startups. So many things in your career we want to get into. I think serial entrepreneur sums it up nicely. Jan, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, we've been real excited to have you on and, and certainly dive into your illustrious career, a lot of which has taken place here in Austin. So we, we love that and want to hear about really at all. So let's dive in. Tell us a little bit more about your early years working in software and we can go from there. Yeah, I think if you, if you hung out with me and knew me really well and spent time during the day, you would probably call me a bit of a startup junkie. (laughs) So I do a lot with startups and the people that I hang with right now, a lot of them are in the next generation of startups and uh, invest a lot of energy there. I, I just really feel like early on, I discovered that this is actually a people business we're in people business that you're in Mm -hmm. and I loved that where you know people are selling to people people are solving problems so it wasn't it was something for me that very early on I I gravitated toward even though I would have no idea in college that I would end up being in in startups at Mm -hmm. all so I started out with IBM which is kind of a, a little bit of a, an odd thing. It's, it's a, a, a gigantic company, and I didn't actually think I wanted to be in technology at all. The area that I, you know, when I was, was really in college, we, we thought of, of computing is what we called it, but mm-hmm. technology is really these big back office computers that were on raised floors right. in big banks and large companies. And then along came this thing called the personal computer that IBM uh, brought to to market. 
and it was all about people to people. It was on every desk. And there was this explosion of technology, literally. Everything that we know today and take for granted was being born in those days. And that's where, because of that, that draw for me, the people aspect, the, the fascination with how much technology actually changed people's behavior, that's how I got involved in that. And I, I left IBM actually to go with one of our customers, which was a venture-backed startup. And I ended up never coming out of that, yeah. that channel. I've been in venture-backed deals and working with, with young companies that are scaling for, for my, the bulk of my career. That's awesome. And so we'd love to get a feel for what it was like in the 90s leading up to the dot-com crash. Is the, also, is the old adage true, history repeats itself? Are you seeing some of that in maybe today's day and age or maybe in 2008? I hope not. I don't. I actually don't think. I'm pleasantly surprised that we're not repeating that. That was a uh, a very interesting time because the internet was so new. As I mentioned, you know, so many of my the things that I was involved in were firsts. Mm-hmm. In fact, my whole career has been firsts. First mm-hmm. email. First, you know, the internet coming out. The first collaborative systems. All of those things were being born, and I think we got carried away with growth over over being profitable during that era. I actually came to Austin for Vignette Mm -hmm. at that time in 97, and within a year, we were in that bubble. Everyone was in that bubble. I could probably give you an example. I I remember being in a board meeting in 1998 where we literally were preparing to go public, and we were preparing, you know, an SEC, SEC filing. And I remember the loss that the number was well over 20 million, hmm. and there was no discussion of um, profitability or how we were going to get there. That was just what we were doing. It was all about market share in those hmm. days. And when we went public the, the following year, the market actually rewarded us for that because we, at one point, almost had a $9 billion valuation. Wow. That, I think all of us would agree, got a little bit out of hand mm-hmm. where it was about market share, this whole internet thing was new, and it had to pull back. And it, I'm, I'm surprised it went as far as it did. And I think there are still many of us that understand those things in the market, and hopefully we're not going to repeat at least that bubble again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, must have been a wild ride. And so talk to us then about kind of after that, coming down the roller coaster, so to speak. What what propelled you into your next part of the journey there, eventually becoming an entrepreneur yourself? Well, I was I was at Vignette. And by the way, when we came to Vignette, this will tell you a little bit about the the day, literally called it the World Wide Web in the beginning mm-hmm. with a straight face. You know, <laughs> I was coming from Dallas to go to Austin to be a part of this World Wide Web company and and it was amazing it was it was a, an incredible time building a team that could could take us public for instance that's a lot you know to be able to get to that that place where you have a team that you can get to 400 million in four years however when when the when the internet came or the bubble came I think in many ways some people were hesitant to even believe it had burst kept thinking it was coming back Mm-hmm. We had hired so many people, not just Vignette, but in, in, in the city here in Austin, so many people from other states and other places to come to Austin. Many of them went home. 
it was interesting to see sort of, you know, it, this expansion of what we were doing, and then all of a sudden everything just began to close. I, I was no longer at Vignette, but I was really, in my mind, wanting to go do one of these myself, but not because of the, the bubble bursting. And by the way, the, the three companies that I, I have done have all been in a downturn. It's one of the mm. best times to, yeah. mm-hmm. to actually launch a company. But I probably was most motivated by culture. You know, I had, as you can imagine, I've been, you know, in my career in a man's world for a long time. And we hadn't yet woken up to understanding what that really meant for women. And I, I truly wanted to go go put some things in place around a culture that could accept families that you could work really hard and be excellent, but also have your family be a part of that. Mm-hmm. We take that for granted today. Yeah. But it used to be that, you know, I didn't talk about my daughter. I didn't talk about my family because it would make you seem like you weren't as, you know, as strong or as, as committed mm-hmm. to the company. And I'm so grateful that's not, not still here. But that was the reason I, I went out to, to launch something of my own was because of culture. And I I was extremely pleased that other people wanted the same thing. I wasn't completely sure at the (laughs) beginning, but I I think everybody deep down, especially, you know, after you get out of your your 20s, you're ready to have family, but you're not quite sure how to balance that sometimes. But that's, and I launched Social Dynamics based on that that principle. Mm Got it. Yeah, I love that. I can imagine you had to overcome many hurdles to change the culture like that. Curious to hear, you mentioned you came to Austin in the late 90s with Vignette. So from your perspective, we'd love to hear, A, what was the venture capital scene like in Austin back then? And how have you seen it, how have you seen it evolve over the years? Oh, that is a really good question because it has done nothing but expand. <laughs> when I was, if you can imagine this scenario, when I was coming to Austin, I was doing a venture-backed company. And I was, in my career, I've gotten into customer-facing roles because of that love that I have for the customer. And that's what, what I really honed in the vignette opportunity is that ability to be just obsessed, customer-centric obsession with understanding what their needs were. That's largely, I, I credit that for actually being you know, a part of, of all the successes I've had is that obsession. But when I think about when I first came here, I had just finished another venture back deal. And if you're in, like as a chief revenue officer and you do well and your team is killing it, they just pick you up and put you in another thing. Mm. And for years, I honestly didn't even look for an opportunity, which I kind of regret in some ways because I, I feel like I might've been pulled into to things and it would have been nice to look around and, and put some of my values and the, the, you know, the, the things that ha- I wanted out of family in there. Mm-hmm. but. I, I got a call from one of the principals at Matrix Partners who had, had funded the one that I was in. He said, where do you want to go? And I was living in Dallas at that time. And I literally told him the words, all I want to do is go to Austin, Texas and live on the water. <laughs> <laughs> that was my view of what it, Nirvana would be. And so he said, okay. You know, and all I knew really about Austin was South By. I, mm-hmm. I even then went to South By and I was so attracted to the to the techn- the interactive uh, component that was beginning to break away. And so he called Joe Aragona, who at that time ran Austin Ventures, which really was the only game in town other than a few. Mm-hmm. They were the only ones that could write big checks. 
and he introduced me to two or three of the opportunities here. And, and honestly, the, 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 the pipeline was probably no more than 10 or 12 companies hmm. that he even had to introduce me to. And that's how I got introduced to Vignette. But the fact that there would be one game in town is, is now a distant memory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, over the years, not only have added more venture, but I think we've added some real strong diversity in the ways that people get, get to that capital. I don't think it's always been friendly for women, um, but I, I think it's getting better. I think that divide is beginning to happen. But today, I think we've got over 70 venture capital companies and private equity, which I do a lot of work with also. And those worlds are kind of blurring mm-hmm. a little bit. But we are, we're today now a place people go. When you, when you wake up and you're a, you know, a young woman in Iowa, I'm hoping they're going to think, you know, I've got this idea. I got to pack my bags and come to Austin because we are hoping to be that place where people actually purposely, intentionally come because we know we've got that kind of environment. Yeah. It's funny you say that. We actually interviewed a woman founder of a company that's from Iowa, although oh, she's, really? <laughs> she's keeping the team in Davenport, Davenport strong. <laughs> but we did meet here in Austin in South by. So it brings in a lot of people for sure, whether permanently or not. It's a community here that is well, really if we, welcoming. If we can do a few more things right for women, she might change her mind and decide yeah. <laughs> this is the place for a woman-led business. Maybe, maybe so. I think her rent there is, is a, little bit, uh, a little bit cheaper <laughs> for the office. But yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. We wanted to dive in a little bit deeper to your time as an entrepreneur and specifically within the acquisition process. So one of your companies you sold to Oracle, another as well. What was that like selling? You know, we, we know you kind of went through the IPO process as well, but the acquisition process specifically. Well, I think it's it's one of those things that is today even pursued as as the option because the IPO window can open and it can close. But for an entrepreneur, it's it's truly always on your mind, but you can't necessarily talk a lot about that with your team because you're you don't know yet, mm-hmm. right? You don't want anybody to think you're you're you know going to bail or or something like that. I think it's very difficult to know without getting out there and truly being in partnerships with, for, for me anyway, with companies that might be potential acquirers. And, and both of those acquisitions were partnerships first. Mm. So when you got to know each other, you began to, you know, to, to understand what it was like to work together, what the cultures might look like. I think that M&A is so badly done most of the time that it really is scary. If you've been in the environment as, that I have for so long, you see so many of these things go wrong. So I, I, I take them very, very seriously, but, but today it's ripe. The market is ripe for M&A. The, the awareness of being able to merge cultures is better. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people talk about it and don't actually do it though. It's still yeah. problematic. But I think being able to dance together for a while and being patient, if you go out and pursue an acquisition, forget it, because mm-hmm. you're not going to get the, the deal you want. Your people are not going to get the deal you want. But maybe there's no other choice. There are, there are times when you have to pursue it. So at least don't act like you're pursuing it, <laughs> because it needs to be a merger. You're, you're literally getting in bed together as partners. or you know It's like a marriage. And... I always felt really responsible for the people and that one decision done 
in, in a cavalier way could affect lives big time. So I think, it's, I think it's something that everyone today is getting smarter about, but I do believe and I do see all around me many M&A events that, that aren't successful, that can even go backwards if you, don't, mm. if you don't really pay attention to the fundamentals of people. You know, I, I think sometimes coming out of COVID that we, we really made a step forward. And if we do this right, we could actually change this whole environment for good. And what I mean by that is that we suddenly realized during COVID that we're not just managing employees, we're managing people, we're managing humans. Mm-hmm. And humans have lives, they, they have energy that is actually accelerated when they're doing their best work, or they could be fearful and actually be much less productive. And I think we learned some things about that, that you actually can trust people to get stuff done. They can have a lot more opportunity to have agency because you can't stand over them if you're, you know, if you're all remote, you can't micromanage at all. But then there are other challenges around collaboration and ideation. But I do think we're on the cusp of being able to get this people thing a whole lot more right than it, than it has been in the past. I love that. And it ties back to what you started with, with how we're in the people business, right? We are. And so following up on that, curious how you went about with the companies that you started promoting that culture of people first and, you know, making it a place that your employees were happy to show up to and put their best effort in. Well, I think that that's a good question. I think that any leader who's intentional about this is going to really care about the employee and they have to be with the employees to be able to do that. You have to know them. As it grows, it's very difficult to keep up with it. Right. So I, many times, I, you know, I, I come alongside young companies and really encourage them to try to keep the soul of the, of the startup together because you're both in, have been in startups. When you're in a startup, it is, it's, it, everyone's engaged. You've got this vision, you're all excited. And then as it grows, and by the way, that's very attractive to other people, to mm-hmm. customers. That's how we get customers. That's how we get investors. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to be a part of that, that, that goodness, right? But as you grow and you bring in the money guys or you bring in more layers of management, you get further away from the customer. Right. And sometimes you can lose that soul if you're not intentional about it. That doesn't mean you can't grow because systems are great to have. But it, it's just really important that everyone is on the same page. I, this common mindset, being on the same page about the vision, being able to understand that, that you have a place here where you can actually not only perform, but you can grow. You know, it's, it, gone are the days where you're just setting someone down with, with these objectives and you just have to go do it or you're out of here. They want to grow. They want to be a part of growing and they want to feel like they're a part of it. So I think... I think the way that, that good leaders build that is to move among the people, ask them questions. I don't believe that the old style of leadership where we have all the answers is the right way at all. You, leaders today should not even pretend to have all the answers. They need to have the right questions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because only through questioning can you understand what the customer needs and, back to your employees, what what are their needs? You know, are they are they achieving the goals that they want, both on a, on a personal basis, but also as as you know, someone who's working inside your company? So I think that that comes from not just the leader, but from everyone. Everyone right. gets on the same page. 
Uh, one of the things I learned very early on is that life is not just about transactions. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here as someone who's been chief revenue officer and I want to win, and I'm, <laughs> I'm all about the transaction, and I'm, I'm really happy that I've got that track record. But truly, it's about connections, not transactions. Mm-hmm. And the way we were always successful in these teams is that we were connecting with our customer. Only way to do that is to know the customer. Again, you've got to understand who needs you. And if they don't need you, you don't need to spend time hammering and trying to figure out a way to get in and make someone buy. That's, that's not the way that, that you know, rainmakers <laughs> operate. People that are really good at sales, and you know this, are outcome driven. They're trying to first figure out what is the results? What are the results that need to happen? Not all this plethora of features, mm. but what are the actual results important to that customer? And then you can come back to some of the features. But first, you start with where do we want to go? What does success look like in this scenario? Right. And then you kind of reverse engineer from there. Yeah, and add back as you need, mm-hmm. right? But so often as, as startup founders, we just shove it all out there. We're so happy about all the, the features we've added and all the things that we've done. And we're so certain they're all going to be you know, excited over those things. I was with someone yesterday that we were, we were laughing about this, a young woman entrepreneur. It was really just that one thing that everyone loved, and it wasn't even what she thought was the best thing about the platform. And that's true sometimes. We, we put all this, this stuff in there and make it complicated when it really should, we sh- if we listen carefully and understand what they need, it should be about building that kind of you know, joint plan of how we're going to get there for that one thing first, and then, then the rest of it fits in place. Absolutely, yeah, that's, that's a master class in sales if you, had to, <laughs> if you had to sum it up, so taking notes for sure, and I know our <laughs> listeners are too. Jan, you, you had a lot of success over your career, but we wanted to ask a little bit more about some of the challenges, maybe even failures that you came across. Any, anything notable in your career that, that you could point to in terms of challenges? You know, it's a good question. I think the biggest challenge, honestly, is, is you know, back to people, bringing people all together. The, the, the challenge also for a woman, many times, is the funding because the connections aren't there. Now, I, I personally had worked within, like, the first part of my career, really the first third of my career was what I call entrepreneurship. Mm. So I was working inside of entrepreneurial companies and in every board meeting because you're you know as a chief revenue officer you're in every board meeting yeah. in fact they may talk to you more than anybody else yeah. but i i literally was picking up the same things that i used later on but the challenge of getting funding and and by the way i meant to to say my challenge was was great in getting funding but it was doable because i had the connections some women, some, many women today and men don't have the connections, and then it's a it's a cold start yeah. to try to get them. But I think the the challenges every every startup is challenging every day. There is no such thing as a day that doesn't have highs and lows. And I I used to sort of settle myself around the fact that every day is going to have that you know included in it. Some days are diamond, some days are stone. But you have to learn that. The you know if you really are customer focused, that that voice is the only one that matters. Not all this other interruption. The, the I, I say it all the time that the customer's voice 
is more important than the investors. It's more important than your professors. It's that's the only thing that matters. Mm -hmm. If they really love what you're doing, then they're they're going to be there for you. Now, in enterprise software, which is where I built my career, there's always challenges around technology. So occasionally there are things that don't work, or someone oversold something, or you've got a scenario where it just flat out we did something wrong. You know, those things happen. But I'll I'll tell you that if you come in and fix that authentically and partner with the customer, the relationship is actually even stronger afterwards. Mm -hmm. I know my husband and I, we were both VPs of sales in Dallas together, and sometimes we'd have these big parties and for Christmas. And in that Christmas party, sometimes 80% of the people there were our customers and partners, <laughs> because that's the way we both approached these things. You know, if, if there was an issue, we fixed it, and we, and even if it was not just our fault, we came and brought the team together. And I think overcoming these challenges is, is where you learn the rhythm there of not overreacting to the problems that are out there. We, you know, when it comes to funding, we always had to get on a plane, you know, mm-hmm. to go back to California. I was funded out of California except for some angels. So we don't have that problem anymore. You may want to go to California, yeah. but you, you could, you know, you could potentially stay here as well. So I think the challenges are just nonstop. And you have to learn a rhythm of walking in that and believing in, again, your customer and what you're doing for that customer. And somehow it just all, all works out. Yeah, I love that. It has some overlap with actually we interviewed Sam's CEO a couple episodes or a while back now, mm-hmm. actually, and he kind of had a similar take, which is challenges are essential to keep the lights on, right? Like you need those challenges and That's overcoming right. them is part of the journey, of course. And you want them to surface quickly. Yeah. So if you don't have the right relationship with your customer, for instance, or your employees, those things can become toxic because they're underneath the hood. You want them to surface quickly so you can do something about them. Mm-hmm. And so transitioning forward here, how and when did you know that your next chapter would start, and namely that chapter being mentoring the next generation of female founders? Well, I, I, after my last company was acquired by Lithium Technologies, I knew at that moment I was going to be giving back to female entrepreneurs because I had been an entrepreneur. And when you go from idea to exit as a woman, you just know that it's different. I'm sorry, it really is different. And it shouldn't be. It should not be. So I wanted to help close that gap. It just wasn't, it, it didn't seem to me to be that hard to bring the things together to help people understand what they need to understand. So I knew then, and I, I began to understand that, you know, I wanted to do that here in Austin first. I'd been on the road so much because a lot of my business in the social technology arena, we were social customer care in social dynamics, very edgy software. So we were always either in what we call the Gulch in New York or, you know, Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm suddenly here in Austin and I didn't know that many other women who'd had exits. So I wanted to bring, you know, a group together and figure out what to do. I couldn't even find anybody at that time. And this is 2012. You wouldn't believe how different things were (laughs) in 2012. So I began to, to go to different, you know, events. I went to you know, a CEO summit here. And I thought, okay, now I'm going to find some, you know, some other women to be able to, to collaborate with. I remember coming in just a little bit late, so I didn't even look around. And then when the lights came up about, 
you know, 10.30 or so for a break, I realized in looking around, there were, in, in over 200 people in that room, there were five women. Oh, wow. And Jeez. two of them were running the conference. <laughs> so it was, you know, Lori Hawkins from Austin American Statesman, a reporter, and this other woman and me. And I'm like, where are the women in Austin, Texas? I thought this was supposed to be, you know, the hub. And so I began to, to look around. I ended up, there's, there's many stories to this, ended up going up to Capital Factory, uh, talking to Josh and, and seeing that there, there weren't even visible you know, expressions of women on video sometimes because we weren't even visible. And boy, he immediately he saw that and he changed it. Mm. And it helped me realize we, we just need to bring this up. So many good people want to make a difference in this. But I started a, a company called Women at Austin, and it was to advance female entrepreneurs. And I thought maybe we'd get 20 women because I still couldn't find any of them. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the reason I couldn't find them is that most women at that time, and still today sometimes, were off in their silos getting the fonts exactly right before they'd show anyone something. They didn't have the connections mm -hmm. that, that men did. So we ended up doing a thing that was our, our, our you know, opening salvo, if you will, at, at Capital Factory. And I just figured I'm going to eat my own dog food here. We're going to get the big room, not the little one. I started with the, the one that fits 50 people and then ended up going into the, the big room. Mm -hmm. And Josh, you know, had encouraged me just to use whatever because he really wanted to support this. So I, I booked that room and it and it's, it, it's 120 people that, that can go in that room within I don't know, five or six hours that sold out completely wow, wow. with a long 40, 50 women wait list. And so it started from there. We ended up getting hundreds of women, not all actively in entrepreneurship that were either, you know, wanting to be entrepreneurs or that were involved in various stages. I had at one point 21 members on the steering committee. So it was a real interesting thing after five years you know, just we had venture dinners where I, I paired five women entrepreneurs with five venture capitalists so that they could now talk to each other. At that time, they didn't mm -hmm. know each other. Some some VCs didn't even, they, they literally admitted to me they had not seen more than one or two women the entire year. Imagine wow. how different that is today. But after we were going in that, in, you know, within that environment, I got approached by UT to come over to the College of Fine Arts and build a, a program for creative entrepreneurship because there were a lot of women inside the College of Fine Arts. I had actually met the dean, Dean Dempster, at an AI conference, believe it or not. No. The College of Fine Arts is not your your, your grandma's uh, art school anymore. <laughs> and, and so I came over thinking I would just, you know, get involved a little bit and ended up this is where I started the class that I'm still teaching non-semesters non later, Women in Entrepreneurship. Kendra Scott is a friend of mine. She, you know, she came and spoke at that class, and then we started ideating, and she really wanted to get involved at UT. And so we, we ended up, it took us two years, but co-creating the, the Kendra Scott Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership Institute. So now we have a program on campus. So again, still back in the the junkie mode of startups, helping startups, but with more emphasis maybe on women. The, the, the class is, is not just to separate women from men, because men can come too, and, and there are, not, not a lot, but there are women, men who take the course. Hmm. But it's to flip that process on its head where it's the entrepreneurial journey 
But what does that look like from a woman's point of view? What does it look like when a woman has to take risk, when she now has to self-advocate or she tries to raise funds? And so it's just been an incredible journey. Every semester, over 100 applications to take that class. It's wow. application only because it's, it's really popular. And they're incredible students. I'm, in, I'm involved um, this week with just some things that just put me on a high with these young women because I do believe they're the future of what our society needs, these young women leaders. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, did, did Ashley Raymond and yeah. the Safely Self-Defense team, they were part of it as well? Not that class. This not was the class. This, she, did, she did that before we even, well, I don't know if we had the class then or not, but I did get involved yeah. with her when she was doing Pocket Punch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. with, with the, the KS Welly, which is what we call the, the, the Institute. The Institute. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, she's and terrific. She's terrific. Yeah, we had we had her and one of her co-founders, Megan, sitting right here not too long ago. So that was oh, awesome. that was a blast, and always keeping tabs on what they're doing. Do you have any other like notable, maybe young or emerging female founders that you'd like to make note of for the Pilgrims to keep? Oh, there's so many, and, and today we have lots of women that are that are launching companies. You know, when I think about Catherine Allen at Flow Recruit, which is a platform for legal software. She started that in college. You know, I was also a mentor of hers in college. And now, five years later, she just got, you know, her her A round. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, I think alumni was a part of they that. Are, it was yeah. Manetta and, and, you know, the lead was Live Oak. Yeah. But she she's transforming that whole industry with modern software, applicant tracking system, you know, others that you might know, uh, Jessica Ewing, who has um, a subscription-based, it started out to be a subscription-based children's book club, and now it's for, 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 adults, own, for adults as well. And it's, it's really rocking. I think she brought in $52 million in, you wow. know, in, in funding. But there are so many. I would, I would be loath to leave out you know, so many of them. If I start talking about them, there are so many out there that are actually doing incredible things. Andrea Thomas with Diligent Robots, AI for helping, you know, drive robotic software. There's just, there's a a very diverse set of female entrepreneurs today. It's, it's not all the same. Renee Graham at, at Renzo Box, which is, you know, around boxes that hold your beautiful beautiful little boxes that hold your all of your makeup you wouldn't you wouldn't relate to this but she gets oohs and ahs every time she gets around anywhere but there's just it's it's inspiring to see how many women even without funding are are out there with customers and getting traction now imagine if they actually did have some funding one of the things that that gets me up in the morning and makes me realize I'm doing something that matters is that we're we're changing a lot of that but we need we need to pick up the pace we really need for people to realize that you know when you think about you know criticisms that women sometimes get maybe not thinking big enough or dreaming big enough or you know they're doing things that people don't relate to as men these are arguments that are from another generation because women do dream big, but you can only do so much if, you, if you're not fully funded. And to be able to help them to dream as big as they need to be is a pleasure for me because that 
that opportunity for them is very real when when we do connect the, the dots with the with the right kinds of funds that help to mature them. Yeah, that that's awesome. And it sounds like you've made tons of progress in the past decade or so yeah. through the Institute. And you named a couple of companies, but I'm curious your your opinion on what's next. Obviously we're still aware and it's it's obvious that venture capital is pretty skewed towards men still. So what's next? What's the big next step forward for women in venture? Well, I'm I'm recently on and serving the the mayor on a task force for mm-hmm. it's we call it AWE, AWE, Austin Women Entrepreneurs. And we're going to we're going to decide what what does the city need to do to really help Austin be the most accessible, supportive city in the nation for women entrepreneurs. What is it that we can do with with the universities, with with with, you know, with different types of, of companies here that are that are uh, big tech, but also other types of, of companies. How can we surround women and not just fast growth companies, but what about some of the women, women of color are, are that are disadvantaged in some way that literally can't afford childcare to be an entrepreneur? So I think what's next means that let's get serious about this and let's put our heads together as a community, not just traditional venture or private equity, but what other ways are there that we can solve some of these problems? And let it be something that's more inclusive. I think many companies actually would love to sponsor and help co-sponsor some efforts to be able to, to know that they, are, they care about this and they care about this city. We're, we're growing like crazy. And where even just 10 years ago, we were, we were pretty cohesive and we, we knew who to surround. Wow, now? You know, it's gotten to be where it's fragmented, especially on that issue of female entrepreneurs. How do you now bring this back together so that we know who to surround and who to help or how to vet certain very worthy ideas and, and bring mentors around them? We're not, we're not the little city that we used to be, but we're also not so big that we can't pull this off. We mm-hmm. absolutely can. So we're, we'll, right. we'll get back to you on that. We're supposed yeah. to be getting to the, the mayor a list of eight to 10 suggestions in Q1. And, and this will be evolving as we speak. Well, I'll come back and give you a chapter two on, on that yeah, one. How's please. that? Yeah, we'll be on the lookout, <laughs> keeping tabs on that for sure. I actually have another follow-up question. So We've mentioned all these different mentorship opportunities you've had. No doubt you've influenced hundreds, probably thousands of women entrepreneurs. Curious if you had any entrepreneurs, maybe when you were first getting acclimated to Austin, getting your footing in the entrepreneurial space that you know helped influence you. I, I have had so many people influence me. Not uh, Early on, not necessarily Austin, because I was still in my entrepreneurial years. Mm-hmm. But I had done a lot of work in Silicon Valley, and people like Gail Kroll, who ended up in in uh, Warburg Pincus. Um, now she's not in Warburg anymore. But they're they're these are women that may not have even known that they they influenced me. Hmm. A lot of men. J- Jimmy Trabig here in Austin has always been an incredible mentor and supporter, and 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 actually an investor in <laughs> in one of my deals. But. Jimmy is just someone who doesn't need a lot of, of airtime and, you know, a lot of, of people giving him kudos, but he comes alongside a lot of women. And when we were actually at Women at Austin, we honored him in a, an evening one time. Yeah, but awesome. I think there's just so many, so many different people that, 
that come in and out of your life that I'm so grateful for. We all stand on the shoulders of others, and I hope I can do the same for, for, for other women. Absolutely. And, and on that note, what advice would you have for our listeners? We call them affectionately the venture pilgrims. What I advice would you have for the pilgrims looking to get involved, whether it's starting a startup of their own or joining one, just looking to get involved, really? I think if they're, so they don't have a startup yet, you mean? Right. So I think being, doing, listening to podcasts like this and going to different types of, of community events, but also figuring out a way to give back. Mentoring is not just a one-way street. The best types of mentoring is when you help them, they help you. That cross-pollination mm-hmm. is super important. Being able to look at the world in a different mindset. I'm, I'm really passionate about this whole mind shift. Not mindset necessarily, because that can be theoretical. Mind shift that's necessarily to be an entrepreneur. You need to be thinking about changing your ways of thinking about obstacles as opportunities, not obstacles. Being able to understand how to identify gaps in everything. Uh, I'm sure I drive my husband crazy because I, I can <laughs> literally, you know, go from here. Uh, by the time I get to a car, I've already seen three gaps that need to be fixed. <laughs> and then you've got to figure out, is this worth fixing? Mm-hmm. But to change that mindset to, so that you're open to to changing things as an opportunity, that you're excited about that, that we can actually change the world that way. I think that mind shift is super important. Having that customer orientation where you're not just trying to get involved in these activities to be cool or be in the right place where the right investors are or meet the right people and network, that you're actually looking at the problems that are out there to fix. Because if you don't know what to disrupt, you're never going to get anywhere. And then the other thing I'd say is just don't wait for permission to start. There is no perfect time. I'm, I'm here to tell you, after the years I've been on this earth, you'll never find the right time to start. And most really successful people just start anyway because yeah. you can't wait for someone to tap you on the shoulder or nominate you or say, it's, it's okay and now you've got enough money. If you really feel passionate about something, just start. Yeah, that is well said. Awesome, awesome advice. Appreciate you sharing. Before we let you go, just want to let our listeners figure out the best way to follow along, connect with you personally, as well as all the awesome initiatives you're involved with, AWE, the Institute, everything. Oh, just absolutely reach out on LinkedIn or if anybody uses Facebook anymore, Instagram, <laughs> Jan Ryan TX. I'm, I'm on Twitter, Jan Ryan. Everything seems to be Jan Ryan. And, and if it's not, then put a TX on the end of it. <laughs> we'll link it all in there, Jan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really, oh, really great. great. I love conversation. what you guys are doing. Yeah. It's, Thank it's, you. you know, keep, keep at it. It's, it's really making a difference in the, in the, the community to dispel and demystify this whole process. It shouldn't be that, that hard and that different. It's accessible. That's what I keep saying. My main purpose is, is to make entrepreneurship accessible, especially yeah. for women. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're, we're just a small part in, in that journey for you. And it, it was awesome to have you in. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another dose of startups and venture capital. And as always, we appreciate our pilgrims spreading the word about the show. Share with your friends and help someone else make the pilgrimage. See you next time.
call me though she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibes a little low key, okey dokey. That's alright, but wait, I don't know how to do things differently than The views, statements, and opinions expressed herein by the hosts and their guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast should not be construed as reflecting the views or implied endorsement of independent brokerage solutions, LLC, or any of its officers, employees, or agents. The statements made herein should not be considered an investment opinion, advice, or recommendation regarding securities of any company. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes and is not to be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy a security.